There is a popular newspaper in the VSR called De Schnatz that has been running since at least a decade before the revolution. As one of the longest-running publications in the Republic, it has changed hands dozens of times and weathered wars, pestilence, regime changes and economic crashes, and it has run its fair share of famous headlines. Its coverage of the coronation of Tycho de Rosier, for example, included one of the most famous illustrations of the former monarch ever published, and its front page spread depicting the ransacking of Crystal Castle became a defining image of the revolution. But perhaps nothing that the paper has ever run was ever as eye-catching or as iconic as the opinion column on the evening edition of May 23, 1911, written by the contemporary political commentator Otto Feigenbaum, and titled simply, Prison Breaks, Castle Shatters. Despite all attempts to cover up the breakout at FKA, news of it had gotten out to the press, and from there, the general public. The public were outraged at the news, and understandably, so was President Rothbart. I'm disappointed in you, Klaus. I had to cancel a trip to Hanover over this, which has set back the possibility of an entente with Germany by at least three months. And you know how much the Kaiser hates having to reschedule. I'm well aware of that, Mr. President, but I'm sure he'll be understanding. Anarchism is gaining a disturbing foothold across the continent. We've heard reports of similar things happening in Russia, in Austria, in Italy. But not in the VSR. Our international reputation hinges on us being somewhere where this kind of thing doesn't happen. Valor is strength. The Germans like strength. They'll drop us at the first sign of instability. You need to get this situation under control, and you need to do it fast. The public are already livid. It's only a matter of time before the news of the prison break gets to the rest of the continent. Of course, Mr. President. My men and I will be able to recapture the escaped prisoners, but in, in the meantime, I think it would reflect very well on you if you were seen making a commitment to tougher security measures. Let's not forget that you were the one who let them go, Klaus! The Ministry of Incarceration petitioned multiple times for you to improve the wards on the FKA, and every time you vetoed it. I maintain that I made the right decisions for those circumstances. Now that the circumstances have changed, so will my approach. That'll be Margot with the coffee. Mr. President, Commander Holtzman. Thank you, Margot. I'm urging you to look past any of my mistakes in this situation because I am adamant that you need to increase security. Not least of all for your own sake. Given the nature of the attacks on Crystal Castle, it's extremely likely these men are going to go after high-profile targets. <sighs> You're right, Klaus. You always are. Very well. I will make sure that... Whatever's left of Parliament votes to increase your budget this quarter. But there had better not be any slip-ups, are we clear? Crystal, sir. You're dismissed, Klaus. <sighs> I've got some calls to make.
enjoy his coffee. But as you, dear listener, are perhaps still wondering what happened to Colette Geis during the events of the last chapter, I shall pause here. We will go back to the 21st of April, as Colette was escorted away from the ruins of Crystal Castle. I assure you this is all for the sake of formality, Miss Geis. We'll only be holding you and your friends until our investigation concludes. You have my word as head of the Valorian army. We'll be fine, Colette. This isn't our first rodeo, believe us. So, Colette reluctantly got into Holtzman's car. As they drove from the epicentre of the perceived terror attack, she saw firsthand the mayhem that was starting to spread through the city. Surviving members of Parliament were being ushered through the castle walls, some of them severely injured by falls, others sporting nasty cuts from falling glass. She saw soldiers marching past as Holtzman drove the vehicle down Shipfitters Avenue, past the warehouse district and across St Andrew's Bridge towards the centre of town. She knew, logically, that this was all Ariadne's fault, but on some level she couldn't help but feel guilty. Come now, Miss Geis, don't just stare forlornly like that. Oh, that reminds me. I'm going to have to blindfold you. Hey! It's a formality, Miss Geis. We're taking you to a sensitive location. That sensitive location was the Circle, the underground section of the barracks which housed the Valorian military's most closely guarded projects. The complex was designed by Arlo Friedison, often called the Mad Architect for his unconventional designs and heavy use of artifice. He was also a great lover of cryptography, and as such often worked codes and puzzles into his building designs. This suited the needs of the military well, as it ensured that the true entrance to the circle would be completely hidden from anyone who didn't know what they were looking for. It remains a carefully guarded secret, even to this day. The circle structure was allegedly inspired by a nightmare that Friedison had suffered after reading Dante's Inferno with a 40-degree fever. Each level of the circle required a higher level of clearance, with the most grave of the military's secrets kept in the centre in Circle 3. The original plans featured nine, as in Dante's Hell, but budgetary concerns led to that number being slashed by two-thirds for the final construction. You can take the blindfold off, Miss Guys. Welcome to Circle 3. I thought this place was just an urban legend. Well then, we're doing our jobs correctly.
I'm sure you've noticed. Things aren't looking good on the world stage right now. We are enjoying a very tense peace that could break at any moment. Sooner or later, our government is going to have to make a decision on whether or not we choose to ally with Germany or France. And when that happens, we will be called upon to support our allies with the best technology and magic we have at our disposal. See that? That's one of our Kersaitian soldiers testing a crossbow gauntlet for us. It fires a kind of radiant, supercharged matter that is both solid and liquid at once. The scientists haven't even come up with a name for it yet. Fascinating, isn't it? Imagine the Germans trying to compete with one of those beasts. <laughs> no contest. Absolutely no contest, sir. Yeah, I, I guess not. We're very interested in Kersheit weaponry here in Circle 3. And that's what we focus on. When war breaks out in Europe, it will be the first time that it has come to our doorstep since the portals were sealed. If we can figure out how to use Kersaitian technology without them, or even better, replicate it using Earth materials, it'll be a game-changer. So, you want the Kingmaker? Ooh, she's not as slow as our initial intel suggested, is she? <laughs> Who did you interview? That's not relevant to the present discussion. We do want the Kingmaker. We've been closely studying the work of Ariadne Kova and trying to replicate her fusion transmutation spell in the lab, and we've had some promising results. So you can... you can take it out? We hope so. Then, once it's out, we'll keep it for research purposes. I already promised it to someone else. Surely the needs of the Republic outweigh the petty whims of some common street thugs. In an abstract sense, maybe. Can I sleep on it? <sighs> I wasn't asking for your permission, Miss guys. Well, we're going to run some tests and ask you some questions. You'll be kept in an observation cell overnight, then tomorrow we'll set you up for the extraction procedure. Then you'll be free to go. Like, actually free? We've already cleared your murder charges. Come into this room, please. Colette was ushered into a large, plain room, where a few of Holtzman's men took her blood pressure, shone lights at her pupils, took blood samples, and performed a variety of other tests. Good. Very good. How much longer is this going to take? The test will be finished when we finish them. Now, let's open up the wall. The wall closest to Colette opened up like a concertina, revealing a space that was empty save for a few shooting targets and a pig carcass hanging from the ceiling. Holtzman and Mandel briefly left the room to situate themselves on the other side of a small window. Mandel produced a portable typewriter and began making notes. All right, they're with us. We're only going to leave for a moment. Now, we begin the next round of testing. How are you feeling? Not great. Confused. Can you describe how the Kingmaker feels? What does it do? What reactions does it cause in your body before and after attacks? Well, it makes a sound that gets louder and louder until it hits a breaking point. And the hair on my arms kind of stands up. Then afterwards, depending on the situation, I get kind of fuzzy. What kind of fuzzy? 
Mentally, I'll see stars, and things will feel a little out of sorts, like they're not real. It goes away after a second, though. What thoughts and feelings do you associate with Kingmaker? Negative ones. Hatred, resentment. The longer I seethe, the more charge it has and the bigger the blast is. And it doesn't have to be my thoughts and feelings. I found I can take them in from other people as well. Very interesting. Did you write all that down, Linda? Absolutely. All right, Miss Geis. Give us a demonstration. On the pig? To the best of the extent that you can direct your attacks at a specific target, yes. I can't. You can't. I've already used it once today. I have to let it cool down or I get feverish. I had a healer look at it. She said it was an infection of some kind. Ooh, write that down and pass it on to Dr. Nock. Yes, sir. Miss Geis, give us a demonstration anyway. There are medics standing by. You don't have to worry about side effects. I just told you I can't. Weren't you listening? Sir, we could do this test tomorrow. We can't. I have somewhere to be, and it would interfere with the schedule. She blew up Parliament. What better demonstration could you possibly want? I can hear you in there muttering about me. <sighs> All right, Mandel. You've convinced me. So, if you could show the lady to her chambers, we can pick this up again tomorrow. The Republic thanks you for your cooperation. Wait. That was it? I told you this is all just a formality. Wow. I guess I'm just used to things not having straightforward solutions. Well, that's how we do things in the army. We're straightforward. Come with me. I'll take you to your room. Colette was then escorted to a holding cell, which, while unpleasant, was only marginally more so than the cargo bay of the Ayer and Winterlich van. Eventually, she was lulled to sleep by Circle Three's slow but constant rotation. She got perhaps two good hours that night before being woken up by the sound of footsteps. The paper slipped under her door held a foreboding message. Holtzman can't be trusted. The next morning, Mandel returned to Colette's cell to retrieve her. Colette was already awake, having spent the last night turning the note over in her mind. Like most Forlorans who had come of age in a post-revolutionary world, she had grown up seeing the army through the lens of parades and ceremonies, and school books that called them the Defenders of Freedom. Recent experiences had made her more skeptical of the police, of course, but surely the army was different. Are you ready for your procedure? As I'll ever be. And here is the woman herself, the very vessel for the Kingmaker Diamond. The surgeon doing the procedure on Colette was a man by the name of Hieronymus Nock, a flesh crafter of certain renown. Nock had gone to the same academy as Ariadne and had studied under some of the same professors. While the two witches had never met, they shared a passion for the craft that outsiders considered highly upsetting. Oh, don't mind the blood. I just got out of surgery. Don't worry, he didn't die. There we go. All clean. Ivo! 
You can come into the room again now. Are you sure? The gloves are in the bin. I'm wearing clean ones. Nope. I can still see the book. Pretend it's paint. Pretend it's paint. Warn me if you're going to faint, will you? <laughs> All right, Miss Geis. If you could unpin your hair for me, so I can get a better look at the affected area. Does it hurt when I do this? No. How about this? A little. All right, good. Pain lets you know you're still alive. Well, what we're going to do is put you under for your own safety before performing the transmutation spell. Ivo, while I prepare the sedative, why don't you sanitize the chair and ready the patient? Yes, doctor. Ivo, sanitize the chair. Ivo, ready the patient. Ivo, wipe my ass for me. <sighs> All right, time for your procedure. All right. You don't like this job, do you? <laughs> no shit. I'd quit, but I've got my parents and siblings to take care of. I used to want to be a flesh crafter. But they kicked me out of the academy because I couldn't get over my fear of blood. Uh, Naka always gives me hell for it. My boss used to treat me like garbage, too. I was her apprentice for ten years. I worked Sundays and public holidays for her when she asked. And she didn't give me a raise once. That's supposed to make me feel sympathy and let you go? No, I just needed some ammunition. For what? Uh, nothing. Nothing! I'm normal! If you say so, lady. All right, I've got the ether. Ivo, you may excuse yourself. Organ extractions always get a bit gooey. Organ extraction? The kingmaker, of course. We have to transmute it from crystal to flesh before we can safely remove it. But the head, it does tend to bleed. A lot. It's really quite something. Good to know? Now, take three deep breaths in for me, and my word, that's bright. Does it normally do that way? Dr. Nock, what was... Mm. Oh... Oh, okay. I'm just... I'm not gonna look around the room. I'm going to keep my eyes directly ahead and not think about it. Pretend it's paint, pretend it's paint. All right, put your hands where I can see them or I'll have to use force. Stay back. I've got a scalpel. I'll cut you. You wouldn't. You won't. What are you going to do? Take it from me? You'd have to touch me to do it, which, you know, I'm all bloody and stuff, so that'd be bad. You'd hate it. Shit! You're staying right there. I may not have finished my training as a healer, but I was at the academy long enough to learn basic animancy. Now... Put the scalpel down or I'll do it for you. Good girl. Now, 
Let's walk back over here, get back in the chair, and... Hey, Ivo! What's that on your shoe? I think you just stepped in a puddle of your boss. My... Oh. Oh, good lord. That's... Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, pretend it's pain. Mm, pretend it's a lot of pain. So much... So much pain. <sighs> Taking the scalpel for self-defense, Colette escaped into the hallways of Circle 3. All right, there's got to be some way out of here. How did Holtzman make the doors line up again? I guess I just have to wait. <gasps> Almost as soon as she was out of the operating room, she was taken off guard by someone's hand over her mouth and was dragged into a nearby laboratory. <gasps> Though she was unable to turn to face them, she fought tenaciously against her assailant using the scalpel. Almost impressively, however, she missed every single swing. Calm down. Let it's me, it's Mandel. Would you please just- Ow! Don't you try anything funny, mister. I've taken an eye out before, and I'll do it again. I'm on your side. You can stop- Oops. My hands are really sweaty. Wow. Excellent work. Don't- C Come on. Don't, don't pick it up. Wait, you wrote me that note, didn't you? Correct. But you're Holtzman's right hand. Why would you go against his orders? We can hash out the particulars later, but right now, time is of the essence. I need to get you out of here, and soon. Why should I trust you? Because I stopped you from being dissected. Yes, but what if you're the one who's lying? What if you're working against the army for your own nefarious purposes? <gasps> What if you're Ariadne? I'm not. Ah! What the hell was that for? Lunatic? Okay, that didn't heal immediately. You are probably not Ariadne. Don't you dare look at me like that. I've had a rough couple of days. First, we're going to clean you up a little. Then I have a spare uniform in my satchel that you can change it to. We're going to leave through the north elevator. I will do all of the talking. Fine by me. Once they were out of the circle, Colette and Mandel made their way to the gates that led out to the rest of the city. At ease, gentlemen. Just following a few leads for Holzman before we clock off for the day. Yeah, what, what he said. Where are we going? We're taking the pneumatic to Spielman Street, then we're walking to my place. You can lay low for a while. If we play our cards right, Holzman will think you're dead. How long will that take? Let's not talk about that here. The Metro Pneumatic, often simply called the Pneumatic or the Tubes by the city's residents, was one of the grand new innovations that Crystal City had seen following Reconstruction. Initial tests were rocky, to say the least, but once the technology was perfected, the tubes became an essential, even beloved, part of daily life for Kristallstaders from all walks of life. Why are you sitting like that? It's been a long time since I've taken the pneumatic. I used to live in the city before I got shipped off to school, and I was a little girl when they first opened it. Maybe five or so? I don't remember. 
back when it just ran from one side of the botanical gardens to the other? Yeah. My parents tried to take me, but I was so afraid of the sound the doors made that I wouldn't let them. But you felt pretty vindicated when all those people got their skin sucked off back in 98. Big time. This is our stop. Mandel's apartment was located in Temple City, an at the time very new neighbourhood just north of the barracks, so named for being the location of the Valorian Grand Synagogue. Temple City was, and still is, one of the VSR's most cosmopolitan neighbourhoods, home to all manner of businesses, theatres, and some of Crystal City's most iconic residential buildings. Until I'm sure the search has died down, you're going to have to stay inside while I'm away at work. Don't! Answer the door to anyone but you, and if anyone asks my name, is Gina. Ah. Well. Great to see you're prepared. There we go, Miss Geis. Home sweet home. Glad to know my tax dollars are going towards rent on nice places like this. Being Holzman's right hand does have its upsides. Are you sure you live alone? For the time being. Guest room's on the left. Colette opened the door indicated and found, on the single bed in front of her, a blue satin tea gown with leg of mutton sleeves and extensive white lace trim. Feel free to get changed. Whose dress is this? My wife's. She's out of town at the moment, but I'm sure she'll understand you borrowing some of the old clothes she left here. Old is right. When did she leave? 1897? I'm gonna have to do some work to make this acceptable. Don't be like that. Nobody's going to see you wearing it but me. And thank God for that. The bathroom's through the next door over if you need it. We have hot water, but the tap sticks a little. Thanks. Colette ran herself a bath while Mandel read the paper and enjoyed his customary post-workday cigarette. She sat in the water until well after it had gone cold, using the time to process what had happened to her. She couldn't shake the nagging feeling that Mandel wasn't everything he seemed, but at the same time, she knew she couldn't trust Holtzman. Now more than ever, she had no idea what to do next. She was alone, and every attempt to rid herself of the Kingmaker had so far failed. It seemed there were really no straightforward solutions anymore. Once dressed, Colette joined Mandel for supper. After eating in silence, she finally asked the question she'd been waiting most of the day to ask. Why are you going against Holtzman's orders? Well, it's like he said, we're at a precipice. Everyone's saying war. I don't understand why that involves me. How much do you know about Kersite weapons? Very little. Honestly, nothing. Well, the reason why every cop and soldier in the Republic doesn't have a glowing war axe and a supercharged ether cannon is because we don't know how to make them work, let alone replicate them. The only way we've gotten any progress is by getting a neighbor in the lab with them, and even then most of them don't understand how the damn things work. 
All their engineers are back on the other side, and the technology is somehow completely intuitive to them. They don't need instructions or prior training. They can just put their hands on it. It lights up. And when you try to ask how or why... They're like, what? You can't? They're so annoying. So annoying. Anyway, as far as we know, the only humans who have ever been able to utilize Kersite Crystal to power a weapon are the Artificer, who designed the Arm Brilliant, who has been dead a very long time, Ariadne Culver, who is AWOL, and you. But isn't it... There's still going to be a war, even without the crystal. So wouldn't it be better for us if we had better weapons? But it's not really about safety. It's not about our country's enemies, either. Holzman hates anarchists, and he loves the idea of going up to bat with the great powers, sure, but mostly he's just sick of Rothbard running the place. He can't just take over, right? No matter what kind of guns he's got. I mean, that's what the system prevents. That's the whole reason we have a parliament. What parliament? Half of them just got vaporized. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that again. Yes. Well, you can make up for it by staying away from Crystal City and staying out of Holzman's clutches. If you can manage it. I'll figure it out. Why do you care, anyway? You'd benefit from the takeover, too. I mean, you're in the army. Doesn't mean I want to see my country get razed to the ground in a second revolution. And on a more personal level, my wife, Roxana, moved here from Warsaw to study artifice at the Grasshopper Institute. We got engaged and married while she was still a student. But when her dad got sick, she had to go home. Now they're talking about closing the borders to foreigners, so she sure as hell won't be coming back anytime soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed your supper. I know you've been living with an ex-professional chef for the past two months, so my cooking is likely a downgrade. It's fine. You're doing better than me. <laughs> All I can make is rice soup and knockwurst. I hope you get to see Roxana again soon. And I hope you get to see Iron Winterledge again soon. You like those guys, right? They didn't kidnap you or... No, they didn't. I'm with them of my own free will. Oh. Okay. Good. That's quite an expensive-looking gramophone you have in your front room. Good-looking record collection, too. I thought I saw some Louis Reddo and Andrea Laurent in there. You've got good taste. Yeah, we're big music fans, me and Roxy. I have an old university friend who works at a recording studio on Gutenberg Street. He gets me discounts. I don't just collect local music, either. I have loads of American records, too. I actually just got a new Ada Johnson a couple days ago. Would you put it on? I could use some music to cheer me up. I tried to keep up to date with new releases on 78, but I have some old stuff on wax cylinders, too. Why? Wax sounds like garbage. I happen to think it has a certain nostalgic charm. 
I've got this one super rare recording of Jennifer Ostertag playing Liza in The Queen of Spades. It's such a shame her career didn't last into the shellac era. I've met her. Bullshit, no you haven't. Hand to God, she and Ison used to date. What's she like? Intimidating, but in a sexy way. So, how long do I have to stay here? Not long. Oldman's counting on your friends busting out of prison. The one-two punch of that in the castle will make it seem like we're under attack. I have a cousin who lives in Bloodhaven. That's not far from the prison. I'll telephone her and ask if she can put you up at her place. Unless your companions decide to flee to Switzerland, they'll probably pass through at some point. If they don't... Bloodhaven is a nice town to settle down in. You could do a lot worse. How am I getting on a train south without being recognized? Well, they're looking for a woman, so we'll dress you up like a man. I'll lend you one of my suits, give you a mustache and sideburns, and you'll be good to go. With makeup? No way that could ever look convincing. I've been doing my own facial hair for years. And it looks great on you. Believe me, I can make you look like a convincing man. You're not cutting my hair, though. Calm down, I never said I was. You can have a hat. According to my research, the rest of Colette's stay with Lieutenant Mandel was uneventful. He was able to convince Holtzman that Colette had exploded in the same lab accident that killed Dr. Nock. Thanks to Ivo's acute concussion and the fact that DNA testing wouldn't be used to identify human remains for another 80 years, nobody could refute his claims. Stephanie said she'll pick you up from the station. Thanks. Tell Roxana I'm sorry I rearranged all the lace on her blue satin tea gown. It's fine. And good luck with the war stuff. I hope it doesn't come to anything. Get out of here before people recognize you. <laughs> Once she was in Bladhaufen, Colette spent the remainder of the month of April and most of May living with Stephanie Mandel, posing as her new live-in handyman Arturo, who didn't cut his hair for religious reasons. Which leads us back to the night of May 21st, as Aya, Winterlich and company had just reunited while waiting to order at the boy with Apple. Ison? Colette? Colette? So, uh, how was prison? Awful, darling. Just awful. I can see that. The beard is... well, it's a choice. Oh, isn't it just? <laughs> the second I have my nightglass razor back, I'm shaving it all off. Take it in while you can. You look like one of those guys they rescue from shipwrecks who have, like, gone insane after cannibalizing all their crewmates. Don't give me any ideas, Colette. I haven't had a decent meal in a month. Ah, but who's counting? Speaking of interest in facial hair... Yeah, it's part of my disguise, but I think I'm really pulling off the bisexual look. Sounds like you were having a great time without us. Yeah, Holtzman's assistant is a real gentleman. He let me take refuge in his apartment, and when I got there, he had a change of clothes for me and everything. Unlike some people who shall remain nameless. So, what, he was preparing for you to show up? I mean, he bought clothes for you. Oh, that feels like a red flag. Actually, he's married, but his wife is- Can we please just order? Right. On it. And I'll cover this one. 
three pints and three bowls of potato soup. Does that sound good? Aye, that sounds good to me. The Kingmaker Histories is a production of We Are Not Alive. This episode was written and audio engineered by Meg Malloy Tutin, with Foley design by Jam Wright, and executive production by Henry Galley. Our music comes courtesy of Vivek Abhishek, and our theme was written and performed by Professor Shy Guy. This episode featured, in order of appearance, David Alt as the historian, Josh Rubino as Rothbart and Telesphore, Bradley Gareth as Holtzman, Liz Maury as Margot, Takai Nazir as Eisen, Blythe Renee as Colette, Newton Shottlecotty as Mandel, Rob O'Dwyer as Nock, and Ryan Hoyle as Ivo. If you'd like to support the show, visit the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks. 